0: You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 130.5. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started?
1: Let's do it. In this book, we wanted to provide the answers to all the questions parents may have, whether they're already fully plant-based or they're just beginning the journey so that they could do it with confidence and with a sense of joy and without anxiety and fear.
0: Welcome, welcome veggie lovers for this special bonus episode of Veggie Doctor Radio. I wanted you to know as soon as possible about this new book called Nourish written by Dr. Reshma Shah and Brenda Davis. It was just released yesterday and I want you to get your hands on a copy as soon as possible. But before I tell you more about Dr. Shah and Brenda Davis, I want to remind you that if you are new to plant-based nutrition, if you need some more knowledge or information, or you're just stuck in a rut and you want to learn how to change stuff up a little bit, remember that I have lots of freebies available on my website, dryami.com forward slash free, F-R-E-E. And that's spelled out dot com forward slash free. So there's things like how to replace meat in your diet, how to replace dairy, ideas for breakfast, lunch, dinner, a plant-based shopping list. And if you are trying to get more eco-friendly and sustainable, zero waste swap list and more, dryami.com forward slash free. I also want to thank all of you that have read my book, and especially if you have written a review on amazon.com, I greatly appreciate it. My book is called A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy. It would be a great compliment to this book called Nourish. Believe it or not, there is a lot of similarities between these books the book Nourish is way more comprehensive than mine. I think you're going to really want a copy to have on your bookshelf and use as a reference. And then my book goes further into intuitive eating, health at every size, and those subjects. I want to give a shout out to Nabila B., who gave me a five-star review on Amazon entitled Good Book! Exclamation point. And Nabila goes on to say lots of good advice and explanations. Nabila, thank you so much for taking the time to leave me a review. I really appreciate it. And thank you for reading the book. I hope that it has made an impact in your life. So I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for being a loyal listener of Veggie Doctor Radio. I appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you for coming back again and again to listen to these episodes. I know you are going to love this this one a reminder that the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment. So, if you have concerns about you or your child's eating, nutrition, or growth, please consult a health professional. Okay, so let's talk about these two amazing health professionals. So, Doctor Reshma Shah, MD, MPH, is a board-certified pediatrician and Affiliate Clinical Instructor at Stanford University School of Medicine. She serves as adjunct faculty for the Stanford Pediatric Integrative Medicine Fellowship and has additional training and certification in plant-based nutrition and cooking. She is the co-author with Brenda Davis of Nourish, the Definitive Plant-Based Nutrition Guide for Families, which was released yesterday. She lives in the Bay Area with her husband and two children. And for those that don't know Brenda Davis, she is a legend in the plant-based community. She is a registered dietitian, a leader in her field, and internationally acclaimed speaker. As a prolific nutrition and health writer, she has co-authored 12 books with nearly a million copies in print in 14 languages. Her most recent works include Nourish, which was released yesterday, Kick Diabetes Essentials, The Kick Diabetes cookbook and becoming vegan comprehensive edition. And there's also a becoming vegan express edition. Both becoming vegan books have won awards, including the Canada book award, and have also received a star rating by the American library association as the go-to books on plant-based nutrition. Brenda has been featured as a speaker at medical and nutrition conferences in over 20 countries on five continents. She is also co-author of several peer-reviewed journal articles. She is the lead clinical nutrition specialist for the Diabetes Intervention Project in the Marshall Islands. Brenda is a past chair of the Vegetarian Nutrition Dietetic Practice Group of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. In 2007, she was inducted into the Vegetarian Hall of Fame. Now, I didn't even know there was a Vegetarian Hall of Fame, but to be inducted in it, how cool is that? So she has been working in this area for a long time, very experienced, and so cool that she and Dr. Reshma Shaw came together and wrote this book called Nourish. Now, if you want to learn more about the book, they do have a website, nourishthebook.com. And you can find Dr. Shaw on Instagram at Reshma Shaw. That's R E S H M A S H A H. She's on Instagram, and then Brenda is on both both Facebook and Instagram. Brenda Davis R D. So in this discussion, we talk about their book, Nourish. Why they wrote it. Why they think the future of food is plants. How families should utilize this book why what we feed our children is actually important and what are the top benefits of eating more whole plant foods. We also talk about the differences between processed foods and whole foods and why it's okay. And maybe even advantageous to have some processed foods. So Brenda will tell you more about that. She'll also talk about the scientific evidence that a plant-based diet is not only safe, but can be beneficial for children. We cover some nutrients of concern for people that eat a plant-based diet and for people that eat any kind of diet and how difficult is it really to get adequate nutrition and adequate essential nutrients on a plant-based diet. We talk about whether it has to be all or nothing. Whenever you decide to eat more whole plant foods, talk about their top eating tips and what they each wish more people knew. I also loved hearing about their favorite habits and we get, we have a lot of fun on this discussion. So I hope that you really enjoy it. I hope that this prompts you to immediately purchase this book so that you can have it in your very useful resourceful library that you can use yourself, but also probably that you can give to family members, friends that are curious and or concerned about how you and your children eat. So I hope that this is reassuring and believe me, this book is very comprehensive. You're going to love it. Enough from me. It's time now to listen to this conversation between me and Dr. Reshma Shah and Brenda Davis. Enjoy. (music) Dr. Raishma Shah and Brenda Davis, welcome, welcome, welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks so much for having us. Awesome. Well, this is quite a book. It is very comprehensive. It covers pretty much any question a parent might have about raising a plant-based child, a plant-based family, but I want to know why did you write this book?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's precisely sort of what you just said. Um, We've come across a lot of parents that not only not only are they already our plant-based, but families that are just interested in beginning the journey. And they have a lot of questions. And so often I would read articles specifically related to pediatrics and they would say things like, but ask your pediatrician. And I think you and I both know that our training in nutrition and how to feed families can be quite limited in terms of medical education. And so I kept wanting to yell back at the book, don't ask your pediatrician because he or she may not know the answer. <laughs> not because they're not skilled at what they do. It's just because we don't have a lot of exposure. And so in this book, we wanted to provide the quest- the answers to all the questions parents may have, whether they're already fully plant-based or they're just beginning the journey, so that they could do it with confidence and with a sense of joy and without anxiety and fear. Oh, that is so important. And I agree. I mean, I myself as a
0: as a pediatrician, I'm aware of that because before I learned what I know now, I was ignorant in a lot of things. You know, I had to do my own research in order to understand whether this was possible. Is it safe? What's going to happen to my kids if I change their diet this way? And I think still we're in that age where, you know, you want to do what's safest for families. And the default really is make sure you talk to your doctor because I don't want you out there. And, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. I have another question about that as far as like what we see in the headlines and all of that kind of stuff. But, but you're right. Sometimes a lot of times what I get families asking me on social media, not my own patients, because fortunately my own patients, I can guide them, can hold their hand and guide them. But other people coming to me saying, But my doctor says, don't do this. My doctor says it's not safe. So I think that this is a very, very important book. In your book, you write, the future of food is plants. We provide a path for families to get there. Why is the future of food plants?
2: Well, I can take this one. I I think the future of um, food is plants because consumers are, are starting to get that there are consequences to their food choices. They want cleaner food, they want more ecologically sustainable food. They want food that doesn't cause as much pain, suffering and death in the world. And, and with a plant-based diet, it's win-win-win on all of those fronts. So it's it's something that is really appealing to the millennials and to even younger uh, individuals. And I think it's, it's taking over and I really believe Uh, The future of food is plants.
0: Well, I think you're right. I just heard the announcement that McDonald's, I don't know if you've heard about this, finally has announced that in 2021 they're going to have the Mac plant, (laughs) which we can have different (laughs) opinions on whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but we can see from corporations. We can see from these food companies that the demand is there. People are asking for alternatives to meat and animal products. So I think you're right. Well, before we get into some of the more specific questions, how do you envision parents and families utilizing your book? Because to me, it's almost, it's so comprehensive. It's it's like a reference. It's like an encyclopedia of information. So how are you envisioning families using this
3: book?
1: Yeah, and I think that's, and we very intentionally divided the book into four sections and each section, each chapter can kind of stand on its own. So if you have a burning question, uh, I think oftentimes it's macronutrients and supplements where a lot of parents have specific questions. You can jump straight to that chapter. It's not like a novel. You don't have to read it from start to finish. We certainly laid it out so that it makes sense reading it start to finish, but the first section is dedicated to all the reasons why families might consider moving towards a plant-based diet. So if you're needing some ammunition to kind of convince well-intentioned grandparents or pediatricians or, you know, friends, the first section will really give you the why, um, it's consideration. And then the second section delves very deeply into all those specifics throughout you know, from pregnancy and lactation through infancy, childhood and adolescence. And we cover, like you said, it's, we wanted it to be comprehensive and we know that there's a lot of information. We had to ask for a hundred extra pages from our publisher. So it really goes into macronutrients, micronutrients, supplements, um, specific feeding requirements through the life cycle from, you know, as I mentioned, infancy through adolescence, and then kind of wrapping up that section with what really constitutes a healthy diet and what are the actual foods that we're talking about. And then the third section of the book um, is all about connecting around our dinner tables and issues around the dinner table from picky eaters and pediatric weight related issues. So all those sort of extra things. And then the very last section is about connection. So resources, tips, and then we have like over 50 plant-based recipes. I think the biggest criticism we've had about the book is just, you know, wanting more recipes and more color photos, but we felt really strongly that we wanted to include recipes so that you had some idea of what to do with all this information. So it is quite comprehensive. It is quite lengthy, but each section stands on its own and really each chapter stands on its own. So you could start it from the beginning and work your way through, or just jump straight to the sections that feel most compelling to you.
0: I love it. And yes, it's very well researched. So there's data, you list your references. And so it is something that people can read and trust with confidence, which I really like. Well, Brenda, I'll ask you this one. Um, is what we feed our children really that important? You know, it's one of those questions. And of course it is, but I'm, I'm it, so
2: passionate about yeah. uh, nutrition that I would just shout it from the roof, rooftops. What we feed our kids is the raw materials with which they build their brains, their muscles, every cell of their body. Um, Of course, it's important. It's vitally important. It affects their gut microbiome, which affects every other system of the body. It affects... The immune system it affects your blood pressure your oxidative stress levels uh, levels of inflammation it affects their ability to deal with the toxic compounds that we're exposed to on a daily basis it affects whether or not they're going to be over or underweight it affects their ability to think and concentrate it uh, to me it, it deserves um uh, far more attention than what we tend to give it
0: mm-hmm. And what do you feel are the top benefits of specifically eating more plant foods?
2: You know, plant-based diets generally tend to be higher in in fiber. They So they fiber comes with what we call prebiotics, the food for our gut microbiome. They're higher in phytochemicals. They're higher in antioxidants. They're higher in plant sterols and stanols. And they provide the healthiest sources of macro and micronutrients because of what they come packaged with all Of those good things I just mentioned. And people eating plant based tend to have healthier body weights. They have fewer chronic diseases like heart disease and diabetes and even cancers and hypertension. And of course, other benefits that we experience are, you know, we have a lower carbon footprint. We, you know, contribute to animal suffering less. So it's just, it goes on and on.
0: Yeah. And those are, like you said before, a lot of the reasons that people are seeking out this because they're learning more and more about these benefits. And I'll just add on top of that is just a sense of well-being. You know, I find that eating this way just feels good. And I think that's really important for children in particular, because children aren't thinking about heart disease or cancer. They just want to play. They want to have energy. They want to have, you know, the presence because they're, Especially young children, they are—they're very present. They want to be able to be there to do their playtime and to be with their friends and not have stomach aches and not have migraines and these things that might slow them down in their childhood. So I think that that's one of the biggest draws when it comes to little kids, but also adults. We just want to feel good, and eating this way, especially because of the fiber and the, you know, all the antioxidants, it feels good. I like to to champion that feeling good part. All right, well, let's talk about processed food because whenever we talk about plant foods, a lot of times we're emphasizing whole foods as well because there are specific benefits not just to plant foods, but to eating foods in their whole forms. But when it comes to food processing, it's not just processed, unprocessed, there's lots of different levels. And even when we eat plant foods, some foods that are a little bit processed might be okay. So let's talk about the different levels of processed foods that you guys outlined in your book.
1: Yeah. And I think uh, you kind of uh, brought a really important point to light, which is when we talk about processed foods, I think it depends on two things. It depends on the degree to which the food is processed and the frequency with which we, you know, serve these foods to our family. So Mm -hmm. in terms of processed foods, you know, it's really easy to see that an apple or broccoli is not a processed food. It comes straight from the ground and we just sort of eat it. Um, so it goes from completely unprocessed to minimally processed. So things that you might do um, like, you know, making tofu or tempeh or things like that, where you do alter the food in some way, but it still sort of maintains its nutritional quality. Um, and then you kind of just move up to the really highly ultra ultra processed foods where, I think those are typically the foods where when you look at the ingredient list, it becomes really difficult to pronounce some of the things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think Brenda and I, our approach is um, that you really need to do the best that you can, and striving for a diet that completely eliminates processed foods, I think it's gotten sort of a bad rap it's not practical and it's not realistic. And I think it puts a lot of pressure on families. So our preference is eat real whole foods that you you know don't have a lot of ingredients and you understand what it is. And then if you even enjoy some of these ultra processed foods from time to time, if, especially if that's a way for your family to make the transition towards a plant-based diet, it's perfectly fine. And I think that one of the things we were really committed to doing is to making this easier and more accessible for families so that it doesn't last for a few days, but it lasts for a lifetime. And if being able to sort of eat a more processed burger during a family celebration makes you feel like you can sustain this way of living, then we give it two thumbs up. But again, focusing on the things that a plant-based diet is centered around, which is food, vegetables, whole grains, nuts, beans, seeds. And then yeah. you know, processed foods, sometimes actually processing of processing food can actually add to the nutritional quality. So if we're fortifying our plant-based milks, um, and for little ones, we know that sometimes if their diet is really full of fiber, it can become difficult for them to meet their caloric requirements. So using some refined grains, um, especially for little ones, is not such a bad idea. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. yes, all good points, and it doesn't have to be all or nothing, and we do live in the real world, right? I mean, and I've definitely been I'm one of those people that I can go pretty extreme, so I've tried to be like a hundred percent whole, you know like nothing processed, and you know it's one of those things that maybe it's a privilege sometimes to be able to do that. not everybody can do that anyway, but it is more difficult, and sometimes it just adds more stress to your life to trying to make every single thing from scratch and, you know, not use some processed foods that make it easier to just create a meal quickly for your family. So -hmm. I think that those are all great points.
2: Yeah, and I just want to add that, you know, the last point that Reshma made about, uh, you know, some of the um, moderately or lightly processed foods actually have nutrients added that can be quite difficult to obtain if you're not using these foods. So, for example, um, it's not easy to get, you know, 700 milligrams of calcium for a one to three year old child or a thousand for a four to eight year old child if you're not using any you know, uh, tofu made with calcium and these fortified plant-based milks that that are loaded with calcium, it just makes it so much easier to get to that RDA. And even certain foods that have B12 added, and some of these foods can actually make it much easier to achieve the nutrition goals that we have. So they do have a place in a healthy plant-based diet. I love it. Well,
0: speaking of nutrients and, and those kinds of things. Let's talk for a second about evidence and Brenda, you're just prolific. You've written so many books and I know that you're very passionate about talking about this as well, but can you review briefly what scientific evidence we have that a plant-based diet is safe and or beneficial for children?
2: Mm-hmm. Well um I, you know I have to tell you uh, when I was in school and we're talking 1970s 19 early late 70s early 80s uh, we learned that, you know, plant-based diets were just dangerous for children. Period. But over the past several decades, we've actually had studies, some of which were long-term studying uh, studies following children from the time they were born to the time they were in their 20s. Some were just fairly large studies of of children uh, between the ages of zero and 10 years, and so we've had a variety of studies uh, that have been released that have demonstrated that completely plant-based children can achieve normal growth and development. And, and so we now, the largest um, you know, nutrition organization on the planet actually has a position statement, and it's an evidence-based position statement, and this is the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, and they very clearly state that well-planned plant-based diets are safe and adequate um, during all stages of the life cycle, from pregnancy and lactation through infancy, childhood, adolescence, adulthood, for athletes, the whole nine yards. And of course, well-planned being the operative words here, so they do need to be well-planned. But we also see studies showing that Children eating plant-based diets actually enjoy some significant benefits. So plant-based diets tend to um, score higher on diet quality indexes. Children uh, who are eating plant-based tend to eat more fruits and vegetables. They tend to eat more beans, more whole grains. They tend to eat fewer salty snacks and fewer, you know, uh, sugar-laden sodas. And, And so they tend to have healthier body weights. They have lower blood pressure. They just do well in many respects. So um, I think those are, uh, you know, sort of the key findings. And and um, I think parents can feel really comfortable with that.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that's a really great point that you talk about how at the beginning of your career, you're told basically this is dangerous. Don't do it. These kids are going to get all sorts of deficiencies because it takes a long time for the literature and the learning to change, whether it's in nutrition, dietetic school, or whether it's in medical school. Uh, Dr. Shah, I don't know if you were taught the same thing too, but I didn't get very much nutrition in medical school. And basically, all I remember is the scary stories about deficiencies. <laughs> like, you're everybody's going to die if you don't eat meat. Basically, it was just like, you have to do this. It's It's a requirement. It's necessary. So I think it does take time for those recommendations to change because A lot of doctors and professionals are being taught the old information still. So it's very important to learn about the new evidence that supports this way of eating. Well, let's move on to nutrients of concern, because as you mentioned, you know, the operative word in the statement is well-planned. So there are some things that we need to think about. So when it comes to children eating a plant-based diet, and you were talking about calcium and B12, but let's more specifically delve into that. What should parents be aware of when they're going to raise their children on a plant-based diet and plan for?
1: I'll let Brenda talk about the specifics, but the one thing I just wanted to sort of preface this is, as a pediatrician, I've definitely treated nutrient deficiencies. You know, I'm sure you've seen iron deficiency anemia. I've seen kids with rickets, you know, from vitamin D deficiency, and those were not plant based kids. So I think it's, it's very important to talk about nutrients of concerns for plant based kids. But I also think that um, a lot of this, there's overlap with omnivorous children as well.
2: And um, so the, the key nutrients of concern, we already mentioned vitamin B12, of course, because uh, plants, unless they're fortified with B12, are not reliable B12 sources. Um, vitamin D is a concern not just for plant-based kids, but for all kids. Uh, but there tends to be um, a slightly less vitamin D fortification within sort of that plant-based world than there there, there is in the omnivorous world. And also vitamin D is in A. Eggs and fish and so forth. So, so we do need to be conscious of vitamin D and iodine can be an issue if you're not using seaweed or iodized salt. But that's you know, and again, it's true for everyone. Although in the omnivorous world, fish is a pretty rich source of iodine and dairy products because we clean the you know the equipment we use to milk cows with iodine. Uh, and then uh, so those are the really the key nutrients of concern. And then other nutrients that that are are potentially of concern are iron, which is a concern for all children. Um, Zinc can be an issue uh, uh, for plant-based children uh, if they're eating a diet that is really limited. So it's mostly just uh, unleavened breads and not much else. And so we don't see that in North America. We don't see it in Europe much. We see it in developing countries where the diet is really, really limited. Then the other nutrient that pops up from time to time is uh, omega-3 fatty acids. And of course, you know, plants like chia seeds and flax seeds and hemp seeds are all good sources of alpha-linolenic acid, which is one of the omega-3s, but the long-chain omega-3s that are more biologically active and important for brain health and all of that, um, we can convert those plant fats uh, technically to these longer-chain omega-3s. But generally, in, in 100% plant-based people, the levels in the blood are a little bit lower than what they are in omnivores who consume fish. And so there, there's a thought, you know, some, some experts would say that it makes sense to provide a little bit of direct EPA and DHA. Uh, so that, it's still a bit controversial, but but Reshma and I both think that it, it's it's a good idea. Um, and And other things that, you know, that I think parents should be aware of is, Is, um, you know, protein is way less of an issue than people think it is. Uh, Definitely, plant based children may need a little bit more if the diet is really high in fiber because some of that protein gets bound to fiber and is excreted in the stool. So you may increase protein by 15 or 20 or even 25, 30% above. that of a non-vegetarian child, if the diet is super high in high in fiber and low in things like tofu and soy milk and you know all of these uh, lower fiber protein foods. For most kids, it's just not an issue. So you don't really have to increase protein by, you know, anything or maybe 10%. But what people need to realize is that the amount of protein you need for an infant, it's about 11 grams. It, you know, um, it, it goes up to 13 for toddlers. And, and, you know, it just it's it's really you you consume one good serving of protein-rich food and you're almost there. Uh, so it's just way easier than what people think it is to get enough protein. The other thing that I would say to be conscious of is that we can overdo fiber uh, in, in plant-based diets. And and if you overdo fiber in that, that means that um, children get full because there's so much fiber, they get if the diet ends up being too bulky and so they don't get enough calories and concentrated nutrients if they're getting that much fiber and so it does make some sense to include some more refined foods like uh, for example pasta or tofu or you know uh, some of these um, uh, veggie you know products can be helpful to reduce the total fiber intake a little bit you still want to be getting a really reasonable amount of fiber. You definitely do not want to be sprinkling bran all over the food. Uh, We get plenty of fiber from the whole foods. um, And sprinkling bran will just further reduce mineral absorption.
0: Yes. And I get especially concerned when there's families that want to raise their very young children on raw diet, things like that, because then it's just so much bulk and so low in calorie density that that can become an issue. Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10.
1: H-E-R-O
3: When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done.
0: But I will say too, as a pediatrician following kids, the majority of kids, when they are eating plant-based variety of foods, they just grow great. And you don't really have to be so worried about them eating too much of this or too little of that you just provide a good mix of different whole plant foods and they tend to do really well right and if i
2: could just add one more thing since you brought up the raw foods i think one of the biggest concern with 100 percent raw food diets is it eliminates a lot of, you know when you cook foods you you make them a little more concentrated in calories mm-hmm. but it, it essentially eliminates legumes unless you're sprouting some lentils and, and a lot of the grains as well. And the, the legumes are critical for protein, iron, zinc. And when you remove those or just limit it to a few sprouted lentils on a salad or something, it is not enough for children. Yes. It's absolutely. even questionable for, for many adults as
0: well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It, I mean, and you just have to eat so much all the time, <laughs> which I love eating, but it's still a lot. Okay, great. I think that those are all really great tips that you have. So, whenever you're talking to families about raising their children on plant based diets, transitioning their families to plant based diets, you know, we have this caution to make sure that you're thinking about it, make sure that you're planning for it but how careful do you really have to be? I mean, is it very difficult to get the adequate nutrients or is it just something that you have to be aware of and thinking about?
1: I think it's just something you have to be aware of and thinking about. I mean, as Brenda outlined in great detail, some of the nutrients and we do more so in the book, um, I think for parents that are particularly concerned using you know a good quality multivitamin that might sort of give you a little bit of assurance um, and reassurance is perfectly reasonable and we would actually recommend it and not just for plant-based kids but you know toddlers and even school-age kids one day they love this and the second the, the next day they are you know on to the next thing and so even as parents we may sort of offer a great variety and you know want to cover the nutritional basis, they don't necessarily always eat what we, what we offer. And so um, having a multivitamin just to make sure that you cover your bases is not unreasonable um, if you feel like you're struggling to get all those nutrients in. So we absolutely have to pay attention, but it the whole reason we wrote this book is because we didn't want it to be overwhelming and we didn't have, want parents to have a sense of fear.
0: Yes. Thank you. And I, I'm so on board with the multivitamin. I know that that can be controversial too, because the AAP doesn't necessarily recommend that children have multivitamin to say most kids can get what they need from the diet. Obviously this is a little bit of a different situation. However, the other reason I think that it's helpful is because I'm also a big proponent of intuitive eating and allowing the child to learn how to make choices when they eat and not force them and not get stressed out. And I feel like that, like you said, gives a little bit of assurance to the family so that they don't have to be like, are you sure you don't want more? Another bite, eat this. You didn't eat this, eat this, eat this, you know? And it just makes dinner time such a battle and a struggle. And then you can just step back and allow your child to learn how to love some of these foods and integrate more of these foods into their, to their choices.
1: And I think, you know, we always talk about modeling good behavior and oftentimes, you know, our kids definitely pay attention to what we're doing, but they also pay attention to our stress and anxiety. So if we're always stressed and anxious around food, they're going to be stressed and anxious around food. So I completely endorse your um, push to have kids eat more intuitively and to create a sense of joy and calm around feeding. Awesome. Real quick, let's talk
0: really quickly about news headlines because I get Google alerts and so. Maybe three or four times a year, I'm going to see a headline from somewhere, either United States or another country where a set of parents got in trouble because they wanted to raise their child, quote, vegan, and the child got malnourished, or maybe even the child died. And there's been some countries like Belgium that have come out and written laws and policies that are making it seem like this is a dangerous thing. What is your opinion on this? And obviously, you know, news headlines like this can be very alarmist and can provoke a lot of fear for families thinking that, "Oh my gosh, I'm going to do something wrong or I'm going to get in trouble." So, how do you address that for people that ask you like, "Oh no, this happened again. What's going on?"
1: I think it's important to like look a little deeper into the headlines because I think more often than not and almost Uh, always, it's usually not the vegan diet. It's that they were doing homemade infant formula or doing a raw food only diet or being very restrictive in their approach to feeding children. So the number one thing is we have to provide kids with adequate calories. We should not be restricting their calories. We should not be restricting their fat. Um, I mean, we wanna do it with wholesome foods but it should definitely not be restricted in any way. And most often when kids are failing to thrive or having poor growth or poor development, it's related to um, the the restrictions, you know? So I, I think a lot of the earlier studies that looked at some of these headline grabbing kind of things like poor growth, they often followed very restricted diets. Some of the earlier communities, vegan communities, They didn't participate in regular healthcare. They didn't immunize their children. They didn't use fortified foods. So we absolutely do not endorse those sorts of restrictive diets. Um, But I think, you know, the headlines, they're meant to grab views and clicks and things like that. So I think the first step is just do a little research and kind of find out, was this really a well-planned, abundant vegan diet? Or was it sort of one of these more um, risky kind of diets that sometimes people think are healthy for children, which absolutely are not?
2: Mm -hmm. And I think what really, really bugs me is is that we see um, uh, people who provide for their children a standard American diet that is literally, um, you know, it revolves around these ultra processed foods. Everything from their you know, their breakfast cereal, which is fifty percent sugar, to all of the fast food meals they're eating. We see children who are morbidly obese. We see children with type two diabetes when they're ten years of age. Nobody says, Oh, that was because of that omnivorous diet. Um, you know, there are. Within every dietary patterns, there are adequate and inadequate versions of those diets. and And so it saddens me to see people blaming a very poorly designed diet on whatever dietary pattern has been uh, selected by those parents. We know we have plenty of evidence that we can design um, you know healthy, Uh, diets that are completely plant-based or largely plant-based. We've known that for years. And so to lay the blame on a plant-based diet just seems to me uh, ridiculous.
0: Yes. No, I agree 100%. And I'll just echo what Reshma said, that it's not, when it comes to these headlines, it's not the diet that was the problem it was the lack of calories the avoidance of any healthcare intervention whatsoever when i read some of them some of these children seem like they may have had even like malabsorption issues so i think that's just to just bring this home is you know take it with a grain of salt know that they're trying to uh, sensationalize these things because it does grab attention but there's plenty of evidence to show And, you know, Dr. Shaw and I have lots of patients that are on completely plant-based diets. And there, I have some kids that are like the opposite of failure to thrive. I mean, these kids are just like doing so well. (laughs) It's like amazing, you know? And so it's, it's just very important to know that the reality situation is no matter what you're feeding a kid, if you don't give them enough calories and you're not seeking medical attention when they're not doing well, things can go wrong. So that's very important. Well, let's uh, change gears a little bit and talk about the all or nothing approach. I love how in your book, you know, you're writing this to support plant-based families and raising plant-based children, but you do talk about that. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. So can you talk a little bit more about that when it comes to health and well-being? does it have to be all or nothing? Um, can there be some families that choose to integrate more whole plant foods or start replacing some of their animal products with whole plant foods? Can this be healthy? And if so, is there a level that you would encourage these families to aim for if they know that they don't want to eliminate animal products hundred percent, where can they start?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's so many different approaches and I think it's very individual to each family and their circumstances. It depends where they're starting. It depends what kinds of resources they have, but it depends on what kind of support they have. So I absolutely think that there is room for everybody, no matter how planned, even if it's just that you're committing to wanting to eat more plants and not change anything else about your diet. Like you're not going to give up animal foods. You will benefit from including more plant foods. And I think for older children, I mean, Brenda has the experience of her children being plant-based and vegan essentially since the time they were very, very little. And my family, we made the transition when my kids were a bit older. So our approaches and our experiences are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And we were both able to do it successfully. So I think involve your family, see what your children, your partner are amenable to. And then the more that you can do, sort of a calm environment where people are collaborating rather than fighting, I think the easier it's going to be. So one of the first places I say is if you are, most people already eat plant-based meals. They don't call it that, but they eat oatmeal. They eat pasta with marinara sauce. They eat a variety of plant foods. And if if you have certain things that your kids and your family already enjoy, just do a little bit more of that. That can be a first step. Um, Other things, when we were kind of almost there, when we were sort of towards the end, a compromise that worked really well for us is we were plant-based at home and that I didn't worry too much about what they did outside the home. And so I think there are different approaches. Start by just increasing the number of plant-based meals that you serve at home, um, trying to do more of them, and then just kind of move forward at a pace that feels comfortable. If you're sensing a lot of tension and anxiety and conflict, it's time to back off and just hit the refresh button, have a family meeting, and kind of, cause I, I made all the mistakes I came at. It, you know, I'm sure a lot of people that go plant-based, they have a lot of enthusiasm and they're going to sort of change everything all of a sudden. And my family sure did let me know when I needed to make adjustments. So listen to your family and at the end of the day, just approach it with a sense of love. I think you can't go wrong if you do it that way. Yes. And
0: Brenda, can you tell me about What you would recommend if there's a family at the beginning, they're just starting out and they're like, okay, I want to start making some changes. What would be the animal products or foods that are a little bit more high risk? That maybe they can start cutting down on or replacing. What would be on
2: your wish list <laughs> for them? Well, uh, for me, I would say the first thing to go should be processed meats. Um, we know they're, you know, labeled in the group one uh, as a group one human carcinogen by the World Health Organization. Uh, they, they, we just know the consequences of consuming them. Are increasing your risk of chronic disease, increasing your risk of obesity, all of those things. So to me, that's the first thing to go. The second thing would be anything that's deep fried. So any of the deep-fried, you know, chicken and deep-fried meats and that stuff should be next to go. and then i would I would start to reduce red meat and then and then poultry. And I would say, you know, and and I know a lot of uh, health uh, plant-based promoters would actually, disagree with me, they would say dairy should be the first thing to go. And I would, I would not agree with that. I would say the last thing to go would be dairy, eggs, and fish. And, and I would just slowly be reducing those. Um, But yeah, that, that would be my order.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think that your list makes a lot of sense for sure. (laughs) And when it comes to the, the, Components of those foods that might be causing us health risks. I think I'm one of those dairy people. The reason I am, though, is because I feel that we've made it so easy to replace dairy. You know, like I, even here, I live in a small town and there's like 50 bazillion different types of plant milks. I mean, there is no deprivation because they have at least five or six different kinds of plant based ice creams, you know. So, but it's getting easier to replace some of the other things if somebody wants to have that one to one sort of replacement to make it seamless in their lifestyle. But I agree, those processed meats, there's just there's no way around it. I mean, there's enough evidence to show that they can cause us real harm. So
2: and, and I can remember 30 years ago, uh, the dairy replacements were disgusting. I mean, they were so bad. The cheeses taste like plastic. The milk was, you know, with the lumps in it. It was just horrible. And today they are amazing. So it is so much easier. The nut cheeses are incredible. You can even make them yourself. It's, it's really a different world. So it is way easier now.
0: Yeah, I've heard the stories from the old days. And I guess I'm glad I didn't have to make as much sacrifice as y'all did back (laughs) in the day, because it seems pretty easy to me. (laughs) It's pretty nice. Um, In your book, you lay out your top 10 healthy eating tips. Can we just briefly go over those? I thought they were really wonderful.
1: Yeah, and you know what? I actually don't have the exact tip, tips, but um, one of the things that we talk about is just, uh, we already mentioned about adding things in. So just, you know, if you're making a salad, throw in some, I love adding even fruits, so diced apple or carrots. Um, if you're making a super stew, add in the greens. Um, that's a great way to sort of boost the nutritional quality of the foods that you're eating. Um, I think also using mealtime as an opportunity to provide additional nutrition. I think of, or excuse me, snack time. So snacks are essentially mini meals. So mm-hmm. instead of reaching for the snack packs and snack type foods, I think you could serve up, you know, a bowl of leftovers makes a great snack. Um, Brenda, I think, are, do you do have the rest
2: of the list with you. Were you looking at well, it? I just opened the book and I went, Oh yeah, we had, a, I did that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, for me, uh, uh, I would add in um, make cooking at home a family affair. Get kids involved in food preparation. Uh, make sure that that there's variety and balance in your meal. So you want something from every food group. Uh, You want to think variety and color. uh, To me, the greater the variety, the greater the color, the more concentrated all those protective nutrients. I would say drink water. Uh, Just really focus. I mean, certainly having some non-dairy milks can be fine as well, of course. Um, But we just don't want the sugar-laden beverages. And, and of course you wanna you want to skip the highly processed foods. Um, I would say also to, to, one of the things that I like to do is to keep um, some prepared foods in the fridge. So I always have at least one cooked grain, at least one cooked legume. I always have a big salad and a healthy homemade dressing. And so you can put together a breakfast bowl in an instant. You can put together a dinner bowl. You can put together a big main meal salad. There, it's always really fast and easy. That, that way. Um, and, and then, of course, you want to make sure that, that you've got sources of, of the nutrients that, that may be uh, short in the diet. Um, let's see, other things, uh, keep your intake of added fat, sugar, and salt Uh, reasonable, but especially sugar and salt. You know, it's interesting, the American Heart Association actually says no added salt up to two years of age. So they're saying, you know, none for babies. And then after that, uh, from, you know, three years of age up into the teen years, it should be no more than six teaspoons a day. Well, one 12 ounce soda, a small soda is is 10 or 12, you know, teaspoons of sugar. Uh, You get 10 teaspoons of sugar from a cinnamon bun or, you know, a lot of these sweet foods, some ice cream. So it it can add up very, very quickly. Six teaspoons is not a lot. And then added um, uh, uh, salt. Well, we don't want small children to be getting much more than uh, about 1,200 uh, milligrams a day. Uh, and, and it can increase their blood pressure when they're having more. And, and they could have one kid's meal at a fast food place and come in higher than 1200 milligrams. So I think we just need to be aware of that as well.
0: Yes. Oh, those are all wonderful tips. And I think just like you both said before, it's about doing the best you can, making progress, keeping it simple, don't overcomplicate it. These are things that all families are striving for is how can we feed our kids in a more health promoting way, but also make it lower stress, use these opportunities. I love the using the snack time, you know, that's an opportunity to get more whole plants in there. So, okay. Awesome. Well, I want to know from each of you, what do you wish
1: more parents knew? I think that I wish more parents knew that eating more plant-based is not restrictive. It's so delicious, it's abundant, and it provides an opportunity for your family to explore a variety of cuisines. Mm -hmm. For me, when I think about plant-based foods, I know a lot of people categorize that as being a restrictive diet, and I don't think there could be anything further from the truth.
2: And, and Raishman and I didn't share our answers. My answer was exactly, uh, you know, when I thought about this question, I thought if people only knew how delicious um, whole plant foods. When you when you sort of retrain your palate to enjoy the flavors of whole foods, uh, it's just such a revelation, and you enjoy. I think you enjoy food so much more. Uh, You're not washing out the real flavor with sugar and salt and all of these things. And and, uh, so I just wish people would know how fabulous plant-based foods can be and how powerful their effect on health can be. So, you know, I look at people all the time who have... A reversible disease like you know diabetes is often completely reversible heart disease is often largely reversible and i often think if they only knew that changing their diet to something that is you know every bit or more delicious than what they're currently eating could actually dramatically improve um you know their disease and even put them into remission and dramatically improve their quality of life and increase the number of years that they can actually enjoy doing things, um, wouldn't, you know, most people would want to at least give it a shot, I would think. Uh, so I wish people knew that as well.
0: Yes, so powerful. And it's true, I agree with both of you that when I transition to a plant-based diet, I eat a way greater variety of foods than I did before. There's Four hundred different kinds of edible beans alone. I mean, that's like so many more foods than people usually eat. They think, oh, if I don't, if you don't eat animals, what are you going to eat? I mean, so much, so much. It, it's unlimited. There's so many things I haven't even tried that I would like to try someday. So that abundance, and then the power of well-being and longevity, which just. It's icing on the cake, but, you know, plant-based, low sugar, you know, whole foods icing on the cake, obviously. (laughs) Okay. Also, I want to know from each of you, what personal habit are you most proud of? How did you develop it and how do you maintain it?
1: So for me, I think it's just the ritual that we've created around family dinner. I think it's a really important thing and I have maintained it by making a lot of mistakes in the beginning. And I think letting go of the idea that it has to be perfect, or I remember I used to buy these conversation cards because I thought it has to be a really delicious, healthy meal. Everyone has to be happy. We all have to be engaged in deep conversation. And that put a lot of pressure on me. And it certainly put a lot of pressure on everyone else in my family. So I think just the ritual that we've created, not putting a lot of pressure on myself. And I will tell you that it's the part of the day that I look forward to the most. And most days, I think my family would agree.
0: And Dr. Shaw, how many kids do you have?
1: So I have two kids. I have a 15 year old and an 18 year old.
0: Oh, how fun. I have one 15 year old and I have an 11 year old. So yeah. yes, those family meals. I, and I was just thinking about last night when I had dinner and my older son, you know, we watch The Mandalorian. I don't know if either of you watch The Mandalorian. It's really fun. Disney Plus and the new season just started recently. And he's just like so excited about The Mandalorian. And he's like talking so much and giving so much detail. And I'm just like, slow down. I can't even process everything you're saying, but it's just those times when we have to get together. And he's like, if I don't tell you all of this now, when am I gonna tell you? This is the time we get together and talk, you know? <laughs> so it's so fun to be able to have the opportunity to connect with our family in a relaxed way, but also, like you said, enjoy. That nourishing meal together. So thank you. And I think
1: it's just like with the food, you know, it requires just consistency and showing up. And so even if it's not perfect, just show up anyways. And even if everyone can't be there, just whoever's at home comes to the table. And I think if you do it often enough, they don't know any other way. No. Like we've never had a night where people are eating dinner in their rooms. Like it just doesn't happen in our house.
0: No. And I think that letting go of perfection is really important. And I went through that same thing when I felt like everybody had to be at the table, but my husband, he was working crazy hours, hardly was ever home in time. And so I did just what you're saying is, okay, we're just going to have our routine anyway. And now his schedule has changed. And now 80% of the time he can join us. And it just feels so great to have that routine already set. We know we're all going to eat dinner together and we're going to have that fantastic time. So Thank you. Brenda, how about you? What is your personal habit you're most proud of?
2: Well, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to veer away from diet. I mean, I have so many habits with diet that like I was saying with, you know, always having things prepped ahead of time and I, I sprout and I grow things and I do all of that, but I'm going to, going to head in the direction of exercise because uh, from the time I was probably 16 or 17 years old, I made a decision to make exercise a priority in my life. And if it's not a priority, you just don't do it. Um, but i i I find time because I've made it a priority every day for exercise. And sometimes it's on my own. Um, you know, and i'll I'll be doing an exercise class or I'll be going for a run or something like that. Sometimes it's with my husband. It'll be a bike ride or a hike, or we'll go rollerblading or skiing or canoeing or whatever. Sometimes it's with my mother. Um, so often when I get together with my mom, which is every day, uh, we go for a walk. Sometimes we just play games at home, but. You know, often we go for a walk together uh, with my children. I have two children that are um, 36 and 33, and I have grandchildren who are four and one. Oh. Um, but but all, even with my children and grandchildren, we you know run around and play. We go hiking. We go skiing. We you know do a lot of active things together. And and so and I think as a family, that's brought us closer and it's kept us all. Uh, fit and active. And I'm, I'm proud of it because part of it is that you feel so much better when exercise is a daily part of your life. And and I, I, you know, and I've, I've said this before, but I really, I'm in my 60s now. I don't feel much different than I did in my 30s. I can still do, I'm still as flexible. I can do the splits and headstands and handstands and all that sort of stuff without any problem at all. And I I don't know many of my friends that can still do that at this age. And so, and I think that it's the combination of eating healthfully, but also keeping your body active. Because when you do that, you're giving a signal to your muscles, a signal to your bones, a signal to your lungs that they have to stay strong. And that's so important to to long-term health.
0: Oh, I love it. You're such an inspiration. I was just thinking in my head, oh my gosh, she does everything rollerblading and all of this stuff, and running and walking with your mom. How cool is that? Well, it sounds like your mom is still pretty active
2: too, then, huh? Well, she's just about 83. In a couple of weeks, she'll be 83. And she does um, three exercise classes a week. She curls and she walks once or twice every day. And she, a lot of people, she gets ID'd as a senior still. Awesome. So, so they don't believe one lady she charged her for an adult for fitness classes and she said well I thought there was a senior rate well she said you have to be 65 to be a senior she said my kids are 65
0: wow okay you guys are doing something right this is awesome I love it you're the energizer bunny that's so so cool well, thank you for sharing that Well, I'd love to know how my listeners can connect with each of you. You are just a wealth of knowledge. Thank you so much for writing this book and for supporting families. This is desperately needed. So I know that your book will do well and so many people will benefit from this, but please tell my listeners how they can connect with each of you, please.
1: So we have a website for the book. It's just called nourishthebook.com. And then mostly I'm active on Instagram and it's just my name. So at Reshma Shah, that's the best place to connect with
2: me. Yeah. And then I'm active on Facebook. So it's um, Brenda Davis. I think it's just Brenda Davis on Facebook. You're, you're Brenda Davis RD. Oh, I am. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Brenda's <laughs> I'm not on socially media. And Brenda
1: is also on Instagrams, but yeah, I'm um, just learning.
2: I'm just learning how to do that's Instagram. awesome. And then,
1: <laughs>
2: Dr.
0: Shaw, are you? Oh yeah, BrendaDavis.com, right? Uh,
2: BrendaDavisRD.com. RD.com.
0: Yeah. Okay, and then Dr. Shaw, are you? currently seeing patients, taking patients or doing any online consults or anything like that?
1: I am not. It's been sort of like a transition with COVID, um, just, you know, moving more to virtual visits, my hospital system. And then I took a little bit of time off just with the book. So I mostly just see patients on a part-time basis. Um, I'm not doing any virtual consults at this time, but
0: who knows, maybe one day. And then how about you, Brenda? Do you do any? Dietitian work consults, or you mostly just writing and speaking and doing all that stuff?
2: I'm mostly writing and speaking. I generally refer uh, patients or, or clients to my, co- my, my co-author of all my becoming books, uh, Vasanto Molina. I'm involved with uh, some programs with ACLM and just a lot of writing pro- projects. So I, I don't have a lot of time to do individual consults.
0: Okay, great. Just something I wanted to know. All right. Awesome. So final question is to leave my listeners with one call to action. What is one thing that they can start doing today to nourish themselves
1: and their families? I would say just start with where you are and don't worry about being perfect, whether it's eating more plant-based or having more family meals, just start and if you feel like it's so overwhelming, just make a commitment to do it once a week and see how it goes.
2: I love that. Uh, uh, what I would add is is to spend some time getting educated, um, just reading books, watching videos, uh, going on to, to uh, websites for fun recipes. Uh, and then, you know, look at adding, as as Reshma said, adding, you know, one, add one fresh fruit to breakfast, add one fresh vegetable to lunch and dinner. And, um, you know, just keep yourself immersed in the in the plant-based world and it will give you inspiration and ideas and you'll get excited about it.
0: Awesome. Oh, this has been so lovely. Thank you so much for joining me. The book is called Nourish, the Definitive Plant-Based Nutrition Guide for Families by Reshma Shah and Brenda Davis. So beautiful. Congratulations to the both of you. And thank you so much. And I hope that you have a very plantastic day. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you so much for having us.